Good morning. Good morning, good morning, church. We can be closer can together, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine, it's fine, it works, it works. It I, is always wonderful, wonderful to be in the house of God and wonderful. It's such a pleasure and privilege to be with you this morning uh, to share the word of God together. And as we sang those worship songs this morning, um, we exalt you, Lord. I, just, I was just reminded, this is not about us. This is about him. It's about exalting him. Even the worship that we bring, it's about him. Last week when Pastor Mark announced that we were going to be speaking, Sarah Jane back there had this picture that she came and shared with us at the end of a faucet. And that's it. It's the faucet. It's the water. It's from him. We're just vessels. We're just here to share. So we pray that we will share what he wants to share with you today. I have to say, when, when Pastor Mark actually asked us to be part of this one series, with the focus being unity in the church, based on John 17, 20 to 23 was the verse, our hearts leapt. Yeah. Why? Why did they leap? Well, th- there's a scripture, hopefully will come up on the screen, but the middle part of that scripture, John 17, 20 to 23, says, I'll, I'll read it to you. It says, this is Jesus praying the high priestly prayer. It said, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me. And why did our hearts leap? Well, our hearts leapt because over the last two years through the charity that we set up to help everybody improve the quality of their relationships and help bring unity in the church, guess what scripture we've been focusing on. John 17, 20 to 23. In fact, the course that we've been developing for the church is is called That They May Be One. We've even shortened it to TTMBO. That's the course that we're developing. So our hearts just leapt. So despite the couple of weeks that we've had and we knew we had, we just had to step up and take this opportunity to come and share. And we believe we're sharing what what the Lord has for us to, to, to share with you. Now, every month we do the We pray for relational growth in the church. We just prayed for it just now. Relational growth is a key part. And praying for it is a great first step. It's an essential first step. But in addition to praying for relational growth, uh, we also need to practice loving each other well. Do it in practice. Uh, If we want to achieve true unity um, and become one. So the question then is, how do we do that in practical terms? And, And last week, Mark gave an awesome overview of seven ways in which the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, um, they model unity and oneness in the Trinity. And I think hopefully we can share the, the, just a quick reminder of what the seven ways were there. But today, we want to zoom in and help you answer the question, how do we love each other well in order to become one? I was looking up for the, the, the ones, but we'll come on to that. So let's focus in on becoming one in love. We all know the commandment that Jesus gave us in John 13, 34, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And there's a long list of one another scriptures, which we will show now, because (laughs) there, there we go. You might not be able to say it. Check out the first one, things to do on a Sunday afternoon. Wash one another's feet. (laughs) Anybody been doing that recently? Because this is what Jesus said himself. And then there are things about, you know, being devoted to one another, being patient with one another, being kind and tender-hearted to one another, 
comfort one another, teach one another, spur one another on. You know, a long list of how to love each other well. But here's the thing that we all know. It's easy to do that when people turn up with manners, with politeness, when they're kind, when they're nice. It's not so easy to do at all when we turn up ugly. <laughs> so the, the better question to ask isn't just how do we love each other well, but how do we love each other consistently well even when we turn up ugly? And that's the conversation that we want to have with you today. Um, the reality is that all relationships face challenges. You know, if you think about families, there are moments when you really love each other, there are moments when you really don't like each other, but you still continue to act out of love because the love, the foundation of love is still there. So how can we, as a church family, learn to love each other well consistently, even if we have moments when we don't really like each other at that time? The world is waiting with bated breath to see how we will turn up when people are rude to us, unkind to us, mean to us, mm. hurt us. And if you're anything like me, I have to say, sometimes when they look on, I resemble the world more than I resemble my father in heaven. How can we learn to love each other well and be consistent? Because love is only love when it remains consistent, even if we turn up ugly. Real love is demonstrated best when we are at our worst. Mm. And you know mm. Romans 5.8 beautifully summarizes that, which says, God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Mm. And that's the way he calls us to love. And actually, Learning to love well through relational challenges is really key to our theology and our understanding of God. Because when we struggle to love each other well when things get tough, we think that's the way God loves us as well, inconsistently, depending on the circumstances, changing his mind about us when we get things wrong, hot one day, cold the next. You know, if you're a couple, it could be all hugs and chummy one day and then no touchy the toesies the next day. <laughs> that's the way that we will think that God loves us if that's how we love when things get difficult. But what does the Bible say about God's love? It's reckless, it's fervent, it's unchanging, it's faithful when we're faithless, it's eternal, it is just, he is just love, the love that sacrificed all the way to the cross when we were at our worst. How can we learn to love in a way that resembles the Father even when things get tough? Because there is nothing we can do to make him love us more, and there's nothing we can do to make him love us less. How can we love like he loves? And Jesus showed us, he, he modeled this for us in the day-to-day -day life of the disciples. You know, one of the, the, the stories that comes to mind, when you get this combination of different personalities and egos and, you know, power desires and so on, things can get a bit messy relationally. And that's just real life. And the story that comes to mind is in Matthew 20, where they, I think Jesus had just finished preaching. They were heading to Jerusalem, and Jesus said to them, guys, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to be betrayed. It's going to be an awful, grueling death on the cross. 
And then there's no recount in the verses in between of anybody saying, I feel for you. How can we help? How can we support you? What's the next verse? <laughs> we get um, the aptly named sons of thunder coming onto the scene. So, you know, the, 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 what, what happened next was the, the what's in it for me, the what about me brigade turned up, led by James and John's mother, you know, negotiating the position that they would have in the kingdom after Jesus' resurrection. I don't know how you would have responded, but I can tell you how I might have responded. You know, it's kind of like they were saying, I hear you, mate. Sucks to be you right now. But after the drama, can I have that position of priority over this lot? You know, just let's move past that bit. And then the, the next verse after that said the rest of the disciples were angry. But I don't think they were angry that... James and John weren't considering Jesus' trauma. They were angry because they wanted promotion above mm. the rest of them. Mm. Mm. <laughs> so mm. everybody had this, what about me? And you know what? We're just like that. And that's what causes a lot of relational problems. We're so consumed by what about me that we're, we're numb to other people's pain. And that leads us into misunderstanding and disappointment and we can't even hear each other well when, when, when there's trouble in the relationships. So, you know, if, if I was Jesus, you know, how would I have responded to James and John? And I said, guys, don't worry about the position because you're not coming into the kingdom. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been me, but, you know, I'm still work in progress. So, <laughs> Jesus stayed consistent in his love all the way through, you know. James and John were still invited to dinner, even though it was his last supper. Mm. I would have been very careful who I chose to come. They were still invited to dinner, and he even washed their feet. And that is how Jesus calls us to love, like he loves in a way that resembles the Father. The way we love is our primary witness to the world. It's our primary, it's the way we love, how we show up, how we love. Many of, many of us, I think, would agree with the expression, don't tell me, show me. Show me. In, in John 13, 35, the scriptures tell us, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's how the world will also know that, that he is the Christ, that, you know, the one true Messiah sent by God. That's how they will know, by how we behave, how we turn up, how we show up. I love how the, the message a translation of James 3, 17 to 18. Hopefully it'll come up on the screen. I love how it, it puts it. Um, I'll read it here. It says, real wisdom, God's wisdom, begins with a holy life and is characterized by getting along with others. It's gentle and reasonable, overflowing with mercy and blessings, not hot one day and cold the next, not two-faced. You can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God and enjoys results only, and that's my emphasis there, but I think it's so important, only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other, treating each other with dignity and honor. That getting along with each other, doing the hard work is just so important. A holy Christian life is character, character, uh, characterized by getting along with each other, doing that hard work of getting along. The problem is many of us just don't know how to do that hard work. What's the hard work that we need to do? Tell me what it is and I'll do it. We just don't know what to do. We need to recognize that sometimes how we're coming across isn't working so well. It's not landing well with people. We need to be more 
more self-aware of, of how we're coming across. And this is some of the work that we share in the, in the workshops that we run. But that self-awareness is a really key starting point. And we, we love to share this concept of the emotional bank account. Some of you will have heard about it before. For those who haven't, it's the emotional bank account is just that very simple, it's a very simple concept. It's, it's the unconscious or, or subconscious mental record we keep of every interaction we have with the people around us. So when you meet somebody for the first time, you set up an emotional bank account with them. Of course, you don't know you're doing that, but you do. And from that moment on, every interaction with that person is either a deposit into the account, it's a cha-ching, 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 or it's a withdrawal, it's a <laughs> It's sucking the life out of the relationship. And we're doing this all the time. Now, if on balance you're doing more withdrawals than deposits, you kind of know where this is going. When, when the balance is positive in the emotional bank, bank account, it's easy to love well. It's, it's easy. You know, it, eh, nothing's a problem. Yeah, I do, I'll go the extra mile for you if, if our emotional bank account is in positive territory. If it drops into, into negative or into overdraft territory, everything, everything can be a problem. The, the, nobody's going the extra mile at that point. And sadly, when, emotional, when relationships drop into negative or overdraft territory, um, and people keep experiencing the same pain over and over again, chances are they start to vote with their feet and they leave. That's what can happen when, when we go into overdraft territory. And again, sadly, the statistics show us that in the church, relationship looks, relationships rather look just the same as they do outside of the church. We have this very similar rates of divorce, family breakdown, um, relationship breakdown in general. There's no difference between in, in the church and outside of the church. <clears throat> but if we choose today to form a deeper partnership with the Holy Spirit and become intentional about loving each other well, which actually involves doing some hard work, there's no, it's no easy, no free pass, <laughs> like a fast track, fast pass to get to the front of the We've got to do the hard work to get there. Then we can become the community that preaches the gospel through the way that we, we love each other and the unity that we achieve. So doing the hard work means loving each other well through moments of misunderstanding, conflict, challenges that, that happen. And unity actually comes from being peacemakers rather than peacekeepers. And you may ask, man, what's the difference? Well, peacekeepers are those people who keep the peace at all costs, yeah? Um, they will sweep things under the carpet. They don't want anything to be a problem. Oh, it won't be a problem, we'll just let it go. But the problem with that is things then start to fester and they can explode at any time. What you want to do instead, or what you want to be instead as a peacemaker, which is somebody who says, you know, I love you too much for, for this to be an issue between us. Let's address the problem and work towards resolving it. Um, and, and let's get rid of any emotional baggage between us. It, now, it takes, that takes courage, it takes, um, it takes faith, and it absolutely takes skill to do that. And to do, so to, to love well, we want to share with you some practical things today. We're going to share with you three things to do to, to love well. And this is where if you're a note taker, you might want to get your notebooks out or your note apps or something and make some, take some notes because we're going to share some practical things that can help you love well in the tough times. As Andrew said, in the easy times, loving is, is no problem. In the good times, loving is easy. In the tough times, though, it takes some, some real extra stuff. Um, and so to love well, you need to do three things. You need to show up well. You need to respond well in the moment, and then you need to reconcile well. And Andrew's going to take us on the first leg of that journey. How do we show up well? How do we show up well? Well, first of all, to be family and work towards unity means we have to be present. <laughs> you can't 
do family without being at the family events. So to show up well, the first thing you need to do is to show up. You know, if you think about the distinguishing characteristic of the early church is that they did life together, all aspects of life. They met in each other's houses, they broke bread, they prayed together, they shared what they had so that nobody lacked. You know, they did life together. And the scriptures tell us that iron sharpens iron in, in Proverbs 27, 17. So when we show up, when we get stuck in, when we work together, we are actually sharpening each other. We're helping each other to up our own game in our own strengths, each bringing our own giftings, but working together helps us to get better. Iron sharpens iron. But have you ever stopped to think about the process of iron sharpening iron? There is friction, there is pressure, and sometimes sparks fly. That's real life. That's what happens when people come together, great people. So don't, don't romanticize the process. <laughs> because we're all unique, because we bring different strengths, because we see things differently, and that was God's design to make all these puzzle pieces fit together. Because we're different, there will inevitably be moments that we just don't see eye to eye, we don't get it, we don't understand each other. How we deal with those moments make the difference. If conflict is inevitable, how we respond is not. So the thing is, we know people will disappoint us or there'll be misunderstanding, but somehow we panic when it happens. We think it's the worst thing ever. It's only happening to me. This is so new. And it's not. It's happening every day, all the time with everybody. So as, as the scripture said, wisdom says, what's on the inside will pour out. And unless we're intentional about surrendering the old way of being and really partnering with the Holy Spirit about putting on the new person, what's on the inside will come out and it will, will resemble the world a lot more than it will resemble our Father. Mm. And that's when the old sinful fleshly nature turns up. And generally, it's not pretty. <laughs> so showing up well means taking personal responsibility for how we come across, especially in these tense situations. No more excuses like, this is just me, it's just how I am. Sorry, that doesn't work anymore. This is one practical way to partner with the Holy Spirit in renewing our minds and being transformed in our behaviors so the way we turn up resembles the Father and isn't conformed to the world. Does that make sense? So in the workshops that we run, we encourage people to think about ground rules as a great example of how to prepare for conflict. Uh, that, that way you can think about how you want to manage yourself and be experienced in that moment when the chimp shows up. You know, the chimp is that um, selfish nature hardwired in us to defend ourselves and come out fighting, you know, the fight or flight in us. So how do we uh, prepare for it? Well, ground rules are those lines that we decide upfront that we, we will not cross, no matter how tense or how much pressure or how ugly the situation might become, I will not be the person that does X, Y, and Z. So for example, in our marriage, years ago, once we understood ground rules, we agreed that we would never hit each other, we would never walk out of the house in anger and create any sense of abandonment, you, you could walk to the other room, that would be okay, but not out the house. <laughs> um, 
And we would never threaten, we'd never use the word divorce just to threaten. And creating, it, it, ground rules help you to create that safe space so that you can still have honest, robust conversations, but still keep the relationship intact. And that way, you don't end up um, doing things you wish you hadn't or apologizing for the same bad behavior over and over and over again. Uh, we set ground rules with our children. We said to them, it's okay to be angry. It's not okay to be rude. So you can't be walking off and slamming doors. That's not how we do things in our family. So how do we, what kind of ground rules do we want to set in our church family? How do we want to make it safe to be open and honest with each other, talk tough when we need to, but still love well through those times? One ground rule we could set is uh, praise in public, correct in private. We had this conversation with a manager recently and he came up with one, don't stew, let's brew. And what he meant was, don't let things fester. If ever there's an issue, agree to go and have a cup of tea or coffee, whatever your drink is. But while the kettle boils, take that moment to get yourself in check so that you turn up better and you can have a better conversation. Don't stew, let's brew. I kind of like that one. So um, the ground rules help create that safe space. Because remember, as it says in James, our anger does not produce God's righteousness. So don't just let it rip. It will never be pretty and it won't produce good stuff. That's not one of the fruit of the spirit, just let me remind you, <laughs> not on the list. So given that we know conflict is inevitable, it's worth thinking about your own ground rules, maybe your own anger management strategies if you're of the personality or the culture where you just kind of let it out there. Think about how you, you want to manage it in the moment. And then the next, that's how you show up well. And the next thing is in the middle of the tense situation, how do you respond well? Absolutely. So loving well, show up well, but then in the moment, you've got to respond well as well. And there's a scripture we love in, in Ephesians 4, 31 to 32. We've had this one all, all, our, all our years together. It, it really gives us a model for how we should be. I'll read it to you. It says, get rid of all rage and anger and harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead... Be kind to each other, tender-hearted. That's the word I always zoom in on, tender-hearted. Forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Tender-hearted is, is not something that you can fake. Be, our behavior has to line up. The, the, the tender-hearted comes across as care and warmth and, and empathy. But how can we, how can we uh, put that into practice in the moment? Because when the pressure is on, as Andrew said, sometimes it's the ugly stuff that comes out. How do we let the nice stuff come out there? So Stephen Covey, the, the author of The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, I, I imagine a number of you have read that. But he is often quoted as, as saying, to know and not to do is not to know. Well, Bible scholars amongst you here, I'm sure will pick up very quickly that he's just paraphrasing James 4.17, which says, Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him is sin. So responding badly in the moment really is equivalent to sinning. And the Bible tells us very clearly, be angry and sin not. We have all these um, guidelines there. Question then is, how do, we, how do we respond well in the moment and avoid sinning? Well, I guess one key thing to do would be to listen well. And we, we have two ears and one mouth for a reason. A lot of you, have, I'm sure, have heard that. Two ears and one mouth. We should use them in that proportion. James 1, 119, I'm not sure if we have that on the screen for you, but it says, everyone should be quick to listen and slow 
slow to speak and slow to be angry. Somebody pointed out to us the other day, in fact, in one of our workshops, he said, did, did you know that listen is an anagram for silent? Wow, never heard that before. Listen, silent, same words, just mix them up. There you are. Yeah? Silence can actually be, be a good thing. We want to share with you, though, a, a very practical tool that we use to help people listen well. And it's based on the acronym of EARS, because we want to remind you to use two of these and one of these in that proportion. Uh, so the, the EARS, it goes like this, the acronym we use. So the E is for empathy. And that's so when you want to listen well, you want to show empathy. And that's really um, showing the other person that you really care. And a great example of this we came across was just the other day, we were listening to a, an interview by Steve Schleicher, if I can get his name right. He was the lead prosecutor in the, um, the trial of uh, Derek Chauvin, who was in, in the murder trial of George Floyd. So Steve Schleicher was leading the, the prosecution. But anyway, they asked him the question, what do you make of the whole Black Lives Matter move? Thought, hmm, that's interesting. So he said, look, when somebody says Black Lives Matter and you respond by saying, all lives matter, what you're doing there is saying to that person, you're not showing a lot of empathy, you're not, you're not saying that you care. So he, he went on to explain, he said, look, if I said to you, my grandmother died, and I was really close to her, and you said, hey, what's the big deal? Everybody's grandmother dies. Then now, hang on, you're not showing a lot of empathy, are you? And he says, that, what, that's what you're doing when you respond like that. You, you really want to be responding with, empathy is about responding with compassion. It's saying to the other person, I feel your pain. Yeah? It's not about me now, this is about you, I feel your pain. So when you're listening and listening well, you need to be communicating that I feel your pain, so empathy. The A in, in listening well is attention. You want to give, when you're listening well, you want to give the other person your attention. Now, I've never had the privilege of, of listening, or never had, he's gone now, of, of listening to uh, Nelson Mandela uh, speak or being in his presence. But every person I've heard or ever heard reflect on that said whenever they were in his presence, he made them feel like they were the only person in the room. Now, this is a super important guy, as you can imagine, but he gave you his attention. He listened to you with his eyes. So we listen with our eyes. We give people our attention. It's a great way to listen well. The R is for respect. And that really is, it's recognizing this need that we all have. We all want to be heard. Everybody, we've all got something to say. If you just give me, give me some, a platform, I'll speak. It might be a big platform, a small platform, but I want, my, I want you to hear what I have to say. We all want that. So respect is about just acknowledging that and saying to the person, if it's important to you, I, I want to hear it, yeah? And not guaranteeing I'm going to agree with you, I'm going to go along with you, no. But at least I want to hear what you have to say. That's a key part of listening well. And then the S is in there because it's important to remind you that we've got two of these and one of these. There are more ears than, than mouths. So we put the S in there. And the S here is summarize. And that is... Once the other person has spoken or finished speaking, it's about just playing back to them what you've heard. Not parrot fashion saying, this is what you said, I'm going to repeat it back to you. But it's, this is what I've heard you saying, did I get you right? Because then the, other, the person has an opportunity to say, no, 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 that's not what I was saying at all. Or, yeah, you got me. Now then and only then do you have the, the right to respond to the person and actually comment on what they've said. So it's a key part of listening is to summarize and feedback and saying, did I get you right? do that. So listening well is, is a, a really key part of bringing relationships, making them stronger, keeping them together. Um, and it's something that you want to do in the moment, <laughs> practice listening well. Um, and the third part of, of, of um, learning to love well is reconciling well after the fact, which I'm just going to take this on.
So we like to, there's a, a quote that Maya Angelou is uh, reported to have said, don't know if it originated with her, but she said, people will not remember what you said, they will not remember what you did, but they will always remember how you made them feel. And so reconciling well is about, it, it's a key part of, of loving well. It's about going back, restoring the connection, uh, smoothing ruffled feathers if necessary, and leaving people in a place where they feel positive about the relationship with you. It's doing our part. You know, and there are two key things to that. One is getting better at apologizing, and two is getting better at forgiveness. And to, when, when we know we've messed up, it's important to go back and apologize. If you're anything like us, you can get stuck in this thing of who did the worst damage and who should apologize first. But nobody laughed at that. Is it just us then? Who should apologize first? We fight over that sometimes. But there's a popular verse that sometimes we misquote uh, in Matthew 5, 23 to 24. And we talk about it by saying, when you bring your gifts to the altar, if you remember you have something, you have anything against somebody, go and sort it out with them and come back. What it actually says is when you bring your gift to the altar and there remember someone has something against you, meaning the onus is on us to make peace, even if we don't have a problem with them. How we do things in our families, we don't leave people's hearts stuck in anger or bitterness and give root to the, you know, give, give space for the, the devil to do stuff. If there is any kind of discord, the onus is on us to go and make peace and then come back to, to the altar. That's how we do things in God's family. That's what it means to do the hard work of getting along. Um, many of you might have heard of, you know, Gary Chapman for the love, five love languages. He actually did another book, The Five Languages of Apology, because sometimes we just don't apologize well, sometimes we don't apologize at all. The, the book's now called When Sorry Isn't Enough, and I really recommend you to check it out because it talks about the different ways people need to hear an apology, whether it's expressing regret or wanting to make restitution or saying the words, will you forgive me? It matters, and that's how people feel justice is done. Highly recommend that. The second thing, though, is where we want to land this. It's about getting good at forgiveness. And Emma Blustin last year did an amazing talk, probably one of the best uh, talks I've heard on forgiveness. And I won't need an attempt to try to <laughs> preach that here, but I said that's a definite must-watch. But we will say these three things. Firstly, forgiveness is independent of an apology. It's not about waiting for the other person to apologize. It's about knowing that you've been forgiven by a God who you want to keep your heart. It's about your heart posture before God. God's forgiven you and so we forgive. I remember when we were teaching our children the Lord's Prayer when they were young and they used to get really muddled up. They used to, instead of saying, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us, they would say, forgive us our sins as we forgive against others. Might sin, have been Freudian. <laughs> Sorry? As we sin against as others. A, as, yeah, as we sin, forgive, sorry, messed that one up. That was my punchline. <laughs> Forgive us our sins as we sin against others. <laughs> and now that really didn't land that. Now you laugh. Um, and it's kind of, it sounds kind of, maybe it's Freudian, you know, because that's how we live our lives. But as the saying goes, he who cannot forgive breaks the bridge over which he too must cross. So forgiveness is independent of an apology. Forgiveness is never a one-off event in family life. Listen. 
we're not perfect. We'll disappoint each other. The challenge is in church, we put each other on this huge pedestal that we're all super spiritual and we do everything right. And then we see that we're all just human and we get disappointed and it creates a lot of angst. But I love the title of this, the name of this charity. It said, Broken Crayons, Broken Crayons Still Color. Mm. Broken Crayons Still Color. So we have to give each other space to be broken, to do, get things wrong sometimes, but still work together to color beautifully together. And then the last point on that is sometimes forgiveness isn't easy. It can be really hard. Uh, sometimes it's hard to forgive others. Sometimes it's hard to forgive ourselves. But I'll share with you a practical tip on what I do when I feel hurt or misunderstood or let down in any way. I take Psalm 91 to heart. You know, he who dwells in that secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge, my fortress. He's my defense. And I literally imagine myself climbing into that secret mm. place, having his wing over me, saying, God, you know my heart. You know what really happened. You know the circumstances. Be my defense. That's how I deal with hurt and disappointment. And then out of that place of security and the love of God, get the courage to do the right thing and forgive, regardless of how the other person responds. So that's where we want to land it. And we'd love to give, if we do nothing else, we'd love to give everybody the chance to just respond to that word about making a habit mm. of forgiving. So, so, so could the band join us on stage yeah. in a few minutes? Just if the band could join us, that would be, would be awesome. Um, and we invite everybody to stand. And, uh, you know, this is our prayer. This is our prayer for the church. Uh, Colossians 3, 12 to 14. Uh, we pray that this description of who we, will be who we are as a church, God's chosen people, holy, dearly loved, clothed in compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with each other and forgiving one another. If any of you has a grievance against somebody, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So, you know, as we come to the altar, maybe we can make it a Sunday habit as we're approaching church Let's forgive. Let's just always come to the altar ready to do family and be family. So as the band plays quietly, I'm going to invite you to just have a moment with God. Put your hand on your heart if there is anybody that you're struggling to forgive or any forgiveness that anything. Just let this be a chance of starting again with friendships or relationships that might have gone wrong and do some work with the Holy Spirit, anybody that he brings to mind. We'll just give you 30 seconds, and then we'll pray. Ask the Holy Spirit to bring to mind any relationship where you need to do the hard work of getting along and to give you the courage to do your part. Remember, you have no control over how they respond, but you have full responsibility for how you show up. 
So joining in with those online and us in the room, let's pray together. Father, we bring frustrations, misunderstandings, and hurts to you and choose to lay them at the foot of the cross. Help us forgive as we've been forgiven and help us to love, really love, and love well, even through the tough times, just like you love us. Help us to become that church, that robust community, characterized by unity and the way we love each other for our sake and for the sake of the gospel. Help us, Lord, to live freely, to love deeply, and to become one as we worship together. In Jesus' name, amen.